0: I was introduced to mindset early on as a way to overcome like my, my shyness and uh, my reserved nature. And, you know, that gave me the confidence to not really give a shit about what people thought. And the other gift that I had was I knew what I wanted to do. I had pre- a pretty clear idea. I remember telling my, my dad, and we were in Ohio, we never knew anybody. It was such like a wild pipe dream to like write comedy. I told my dad when I was a junior in high school, I was like, that's what I want to do. I, I, I really would like to do this.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mental Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos, and we're going to have some fun on this show. I'm not sure if I have laughed more on one of the episodes. Maybe it was Shuli Igar. I laughed a ton. And, uh, and Tommy Breedlove, we laughed a lot. This one we're gonna laugh even more, and uh, it's it's just I mean it's just a funny episode, and I'm gonna tell you right now you're gonna get a lot out of it. So my guest today, let me just start with that. My guest today is Mark Hentiman, and if you don't know that name, Mark is one of the writers on Family Guy since the very beginning, and he's gonna tell his story today of of the trajectory from childhood. Through college, through the Letterman show, through moving to LA, through all the different things that he did uh, to hone his craft, uh, practice his mindset skills, own his disciplines, meeting Seth MacFarlane, being a writer on Family Guy, them getting canceled three times. We're gonna go through Mark's entire life story. And you have to remember the guy is a writer for one of the funniest shows on TV. I don't care what your viewpoint is on Family Guy. It is one of the most innovative and funny shows on TV. And so you have to understand that Mark's going to bring a level of seriousness as a, as a very successful and disciplined writer on a very famous TV show. Um, he's also going to talk about his failures, how he calmed his insecurities, his anxieties, um, how he entered the writing room at, at uh, you know the Letterman show and was surrounded by a lot of different people and just wasn't feeling just wasn't feeling as confident in how he got through that. So there are a lot, and I mean a lot of lessons that we're going to learn today from Mark. And we're going to tell, he's going to tell a lot of funny stories and we're going to have a lot of fun because every once in a while I just think of a new line from Family Guy that I love and I and I ask him the origin of it and he'll tell us about the writing room and and what he went through or if he wrote it, like the mom, mommy, mama, that's him, <laughs> So anyway, look, here's the thing. We're going to have so much fun on this. We're going to learn so much in this. It's a long episode. Get your pen and paper out. Split it into two if you need to. Before we get rolling here, make sure you are signed up and joined the Men on Purpose community on Facebook. We are rolling along at 800 members We're we've got our our new products available. We've got our entry level, the kind of our discovery system coaching program where you can just get your feet wet we've got our intermediate stuff where we really get into and study relationships with yourself your family and your business colleagues or your business or your career and then we've got the advancement we've got the real mastery class where you get in deep real deep and unlock that fullest potential discover your purpose your most authentic self we've got three new products for you just repackaged and um It's awesome. So however we can help you, you let us know. I'd love to hear your feedback from this episode. Um, Make sure that if you, if you can watch it on YouTube, so you can see Mark and I laughing together and and really just, yes, it's going to be a fun episode. Really just understand that there are, there's a lot of serious stuff in here that you can take and apply to your life like Mark did and, and elevate your life. And if you need extra help, we're here for you. We've got a ton of products available for you. We've got the free coaching sessions on Mondays and Thursdays. Come on in, ask any questions, bring your challenges. That's in the mental Purpose community on Facebook. And other than that, we wish you the absolute best in life and anything we can do to help you, we are here for you. So enjoy the Mark Henteman episode. Okay, Mark. We dude, <laughs> we we literally have gold every time we talk. We've only talked twice, really, and we talked in Park City where I met you, and um, and then last week we had an incredible conversation. And I'm super appreciative just to get to know you better. Now the audience is going to get to know you better, and we're going to dig in deep, man. Because you, like you said off air, you have an impressive resume, and I want to showcase the guy behind that resume because you don't. You're not born with success. You're born, you go through some stuff, you fail at a shit ton of it, you succeed at a little bit of it, and then when you find the right formula, your resume looks like yours,
0: <laughs> That's
1: right? uh, like, true. That's it.
0: I mean, there's so, so many, uh, there was like a, a years, years strung together where I was the biggest failure out of all my friends.
1: Interesting. Like high school, college, after
0: or all? I think after college, you know, the, my friends who got into business, got into sales jobs. And I was like, I don't want to do that. What (laughs) am I, what am I doing? And, and was drawing and was just the most wayward kid. And my, I remember my parents told me like long after this, like after I had won Emmys and stuff, like they were like, we were worried about you. Like, all the other children in our family like were fine yeah but you're the one like pursuing these weird weird aspirations
1: <laughs> which is I mean, cool we, we have no idea looking back on it, it it's really cool did you um did you have trouble with comparing yourself to your friends and like thinking that you weren't good enough or that you were a loser or a failure because you didn't want to follow in those foot? I, I felt I felt like this too and when you didn't want to follow in those normal footsteps of getting the sales job or this normal thing outside of college, did you beat yourself up about it? A little bit. I mean, a lot of it was,
0: I was skeptical of what other people were pursuing. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to do that, but I remember, I remember living in an apartment in New York where, yeah, two of the guys were doing investment banking right out of college. And, uh, I think, All three of them, one was working some, they were all like working for like big firms and making, you know, close to six figures right out of college. And I was making nothing. Like, I think I had an internship with, uh, with, uh,
1: MTV. Oh, what was that? So when was American greeting cards? Was that after college?
0: Yes. So I, yeah, I graduated from college. I got a, an unpaid internship um, in New York to work at unplugged. If you remember that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that show acoustics. So I was like, I was working for the producer and the creators of, uh, of unplugged, but you know, it sounds glamorous, but I never saw the outside of like the supply closet. (laughs) Like I was organizing videos and, and logging, you know, logging their library, um, and getting paid nothing. Uh, so, uh, I, I was drawing caricatures on the weekends because in high school I had randomly gotten hired to be a caricature artist at SeaWorld and, uh, (laughs) I got good at it. Um, and so I had this like skill, so I would take an easel and ride the subway down to Battery Park at the bottom of, uh, New York and just sit out there and draw whoever walked by, you know, see if they wanted to, that was my skill. I could hustle and, love and get it. some caricature. C- I love it. Customers.
1: <laughs> what? So at a certain point, like where were your, um, did you have a goal? Did you have this like thing that you had envisioned as, as something that was going to happen And this vision? Like wh- where was all that when you're riding around? So yeah. Most people would think getting hired by unplugged would be, I kind of made it at this big show. You know, that was no joke in the nineties. That was no joke.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was a little bit of a fluke, but, um, I mean, somebody, somebody had like a, a cousin of a cousin who was working there and they got me in the door and yeah, I was working for the producer and, and the creators of it. It was a one producer and one director. Uh, and, and yeah, it was, it was really cool to stumble into that, but it was unpaid. I mean, oh, right. I had to move up to New York and, uh, and just use all burned through all of my savings. You know, I might've had $2,000 like (laughs) saved up from summer jobs and burned through that pretty quickly.
1: The caricatures, uh, caricatures, caricatures,
0: caricatures.
1: caricatures. Did that pay for you to live there all summer? You know, on a
0: Saturday or a Sunday I could, I could make, you know, 200 200, bucks, $200. at, for, uh, for three hours or four hours down at battery park. It's not bad. wasn't bad. It was, it was like beer money, but I, I was the cheapest guy in the world. I was the cheapest guy. Anybody knew <laughs> my roommates would say like, you know, we're going to go to the, the bar, but, uh, Henneman can't join us because he doesn't have two nickels to rub together.
1: <laughs> you know what, what happened after, um, like what happened after that, so do you go back to Ohio? you're from Cleveland, yeah, yeah, from Cleveland,
0: yeah. you yeah. go
1: back to Ohio after the internship, or what like how do you start yeah when let me ask you this: when did you stop and say, "This isn't it, and start to course correct? when did that happen
0: um well i when I was in high school, I realized that I really liked comedy okay. and like. And I like to I like to draw. I like to write. Um, I was in Cleveland, so nobody knew anybody that like ever made a profession out of that. So it wasn't even it, it didn't even seem a, a feasible thing. So I went to uh, college, went to Miami University in Ohio, and uh, majored in something called organizational communications, which I don't still to this day I don't really know what that was supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. but uh. Maybe my sophomore year, I started a humor publication. I was kind of entrepreneurial, always like tinkering with things and didn't care what other people were doing. And so I started a a humor publication. And, you know, although I was an organizational communications major, I spent most of my college um, drawing cartoons and writing articles for this thing that was fun for me. And when I was graduating, I was like, I would really like to find a way to write comedy. And I didn't know how to do that. So I hustled and, and worked any kind of connection and that got me that the uh, the MTV internship. Got it, okay. And it was free, it was unpaid. So I could only do it for like five months. Um, it, it was pretty short lived and then I ran out of money yeah. and, and they were like, okay, internships over. And so I went back to Ohio and, and, uh, and was a waiter and, a, miraculously a friend of mine saw an ad and he's like, Hey, I, I, do you remember spin magazine? Yeah, of course. Okay. So he, he shows me this spin magazine. It says they're looking for a, a, a writer and illustrator at American greetings. Um, and he's like, you should apply to it and i had drawn all these cartoons in college so i basically put them on folded pieces of paper and said happy anniversary and wrote happy anniversary and sent them in to american greetings and amazingly i get a call they're like and i and i got hired they hired me in the alternative humor department <laughs> at american greetings god what does that and, even mean and so that was I didn't know what that meant, but what it meant was I wasn't in the conventional humor department. And the conventional humor department was their job was to write cards for Ziggy Garfield, like uh, they had some character named Kathy, like all of their licensed characters. So, um, so it, it, it was a stroke of luck on my end because. Those, peop- those writers were miserable because they had, like, a 200-page manual on what, like, Ziggy would and would not say right. in a greeting card. And we were in the alternative humor department. So we were just, like, experimental. Like, do whatever you wanted. So my, my colleagues there, like, we were off in some remote corner of American Greetings, which was this giant – there was, like, 5,000 people working at this, like, so, Pentagon structure. Yeah. And uh, no, but we had no accountability. So we just made, wrote things that made us laugh. And they were, they invariably, nobody bought them. Like our sales ratings, which were like stickers on those, on the cards in our department were like 0.0. 0. <laughs> and that was kind of a badge of honor for us because the average greeting card buyer was a 64 year old woman, grandmother. Yeah, fair. And we didn't care. Like we just wanted to make ourselves laugh.
1: Right, right. <laughs> zero point oh. zero. I love that line. I love that line from Animal House. Mister. Mister. <laughs> Mr. <Brutarsky. laughs> um Howard Stern plays that. He's got clip. pencils in his nose. You know, the, Howard Stern plays that clip all the time. When, when whenever somebody <laughs> says like zero percent or zero people came, Fred always dropped that zero point zero. <laughs> that's
0: hilarious man so so we were we were the animal house of uh the american greetings uh yeah
1: (laughs) where do you find this confidence though in yourself because i'll be honest i you know in high school and college even though i think i had this bravado and this outer confidence i really had this inner um weakness and insecurity and this fear that people were going to find it out and so i i use that outer shell to push people away uh, and still like I got things done and I advanced myself and I like talked my way out into good grades and accounting courses and things that I didn't care about but like how did you or w- what was it like for you were you dealing with that battle inside that you know you're writing this humor publication did you care that people might make fun of you or that I mean high school's a tough time. Did you have insecurities about it? Did you have doubts about it and like a lack of confidence? Or were you just like, whatever, I don't care. And if so, where'd you get um, it? Yeah,
0: I think I got, so when you asked, when you were kind of asking this question, I started thinking, um, I was really introverted as a kid. And, uh, um, and, you know, I don't know. My mom always said like, oh, you were our easiest child because like you would just sit in the corner and you could draw for like three hours straight, while well, while our other my siblings, my brothers and sisters were like bouncing off the walls. Right. And I was like, well, did you ever think to test me for like autism or, or something? And maybe you know it was no, it was on nobody's radar. Sure. So maybe there was something of that. But I was real, I was very shy, and I think I had a lot of insecurity. And I stumbled upon, and this is like a weird sort of just. Story. I was like walking, looking for like batteries or something in my, my parents' bedroom. And, uh, and I found this book on my mom's beds, uh, bed stand. And it was, I think her father gave it to her. So it was like my grandfather who I didn't know that well. I think he died pretty young, but, um, it was all, it was called the power of positive thinking. I think it was actually called the tough minded optimist. Yeah. And it was the first time I had ever seen any kind of like mindset thing. And I was like this insecure, shy kid. So I picked it up and I took it off of my mom's nightstand and just like went and read, read the whole thing. And then I read the whole thing again. And then I read it again. And I started like I was a bored kid with a lot of time on his hands. So I had time. Like I look, I would never like embrace that kind of thing now now I might not as an adult when right. you're busy but when you nothing but time on your hand sure. as a kid why not I, I tried it and then a couple months later of like doing these things that I dismissed and thought would be nonsense I saw I noticed a difference I noticed a shift starting to happen interesting and I was like I was getting more confident and I was less less insecure and I think I I so I I was introduced to mindset early on as a way to overcome like my, my shyness and uh, my reserved nature. And, you know, and then, you know, that gave me the confidence to not really give a shit about what people thought. Yeah. And I wanted, I knew what I, the other gift that I had was I knew what I wanted to do. I had pretty, a pretty clear idea I remember telling my my dad, and we were in Ohio. We never knew anybody. Sure, it was such like a wild pipe dream to like write comedy. I told my dad when I was a junior in high school, I was like that's what I want to do. I, I, I really would like to do this." And that's, you know, to his credit, he said, "Try it."
1: It's so interesting that. Like you meet so many people, with, ki- like as kids, they had so many issues and they were all over the place and they were more, they were fighting more with their mom and dad and they're fighting this and they're fighting, you know, the high school. And like, it seems, it seems so easy yet. Well, obviously we know that it wasn't that easy for you. You just, you, we're just painting the formula, right? We're painting the formula. Can you talk about a, maybe we'll get into this like in, in your later career, um, actually, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to go through American greetings. Like, so from American greetings, then you get, uh, then you go back to New York. Uh, yes. So I, uh,
0: American greetings was, was a dream come true because yeah. I was basically waiting tables and then suddenly I, I get to just sit and write jokes and, <laughs> and we, there was people sleeping at their desks. Like you took naps whenever you
1: wanted to. Did you guys have like a joke Um, quota or something or like a card quota that you had to pump out every day?
0: No, that was the thing is we had no, (laughs) there was no oversight or no rules. And so it was kind of a dream job. Like the first, so this is probably the first six months of being there. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe any company would just let employees do whatever they wanted and, and like, not show up at work if they didn't want to. Um, but then the second six months I was, cause I was only there for one year, right. but the second six months I'm like, I don't know that I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I don't know that greeting card writing is, is what I aspire to. And, uh, and I wanted to figure out what the next step was. And it was obviously like getting into the entertainment business, like sure. either writing movies or writing comedy. And so, uh, you know, I think I was there for less than a year and I, I didn't know how to pursue a still in Ohio. Um, and I, I did some research and found that like the biggest agency was the William Morris agency. It was this like venerable institution in New York city. And so I, uh, I called their operator, you know, their receptionist and just said, uh, I'm a, I'm. I'm interested in submitting material. Can you tell me how to do that? Like, cause I'm looking to get an agent and it was, you know, some smart ass New Yorker, like, yeah. you know, just send it to the mail room and, and like slammed the, the, the head, you know, the headset down. Um, but I, I, uh, I got the address and set, did exactly what the receptionist told right. me to do. I sent, I stuffed like 10, you no, know, maybe like 20 of my greeting cards into an envelope and sent it to the mailroom. And I was, you know, I remember thinking like, forget about this. I remember the, the dialogue I had with myself, forget about this, you're never gonna hear back from them. Um, um, but just do, you know, you did it, you did it what, what you, you set out to do, and so now just forget about it. But uh, miraculously, I got a call from an agent about a week later and uh, she told me that she was in the mailroom because she was an assistant and she got bumped up to being an agent and she had zero clients and she's like I looked I looked at everything in the mailroom and she's like I liked your I liked your submissions nice. All, Everything you sent was funny. And she's like, Would you have any interest in uh, you know, writing for television or film? And I was like, of course I would. Like what do I do? And she's like, you got, you need to write a spec script, and you know something that demonstrates your ability. And explained a little more, and we hung up. And and I started to think about what I was going to write. I was either going to do a Simpsons or maybe do a Seinfeld or something, because it was back in like the late '90s. And she and I got started, but she calls me back and she said, uh, you know, I didn't tell you this on the phone, um, but. Uh, but I sent your cards, I forwarded your cards to The Late Show with David Letterman, and they want to meet you. And she was like, how, how soon can you get up here? And I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. And uh, my mom loaned me some uh, airline miles, and I flew up, and they offered me a job. Dude,
1: see, that's the part that's, it's almost like, it's almost like you don't, kn- it's like you didn't know enough to doubt anything. You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like Slipstream. You know, right? It just—it's like, oh wow, yeah. wow, wow.
0: What could be more pointless than like sending <laughs> right. something to a mailroom? That's
1: what I'm saying. Like inside your head, you—what I heard was, you sent it. You, like you didn't get discouraged, and you were like, "Well, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna send it there." Now I'm offended that this lady hung up on me. You're like, "Oh fuck, I'll send it," and I'm not gonna worry yeah. about it. I'm never gonna hear from them. I'm just gonna send it, and then all. The and time, I probably—if I recall—I think
0: I did. Was kind of pissed that I had to spend like a dollar fifty on postage.
1: <laughs> well, you were a cheap guy, right? That's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I was like this. I, I'm never
0: gonna see this dollar fifty again, right?
1: I, I think about, um, like I remember I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, and I, I remember hearing um, Ed Sheeran on Howard Stern and, and talking about okay. his struggle, right? All these struggles. Now, not to say that you aren't struggling, just playing on on in parks and sleeping on the bench and and like not showering for weeks at a time then all of a sudden he one day he wakes up and he's on jamie fox's couch and he's like how the hell did this happen and then all of a sudden he wakes up and he's opening for taylor swift and he's on the phone with her and she says i love your music i want you to open for me and like bing 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 it just happens and howard said well what 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 like what was the catalyst there and he said Somebody, somebody like maybe my dad or my mom told me like, don't ever have a plan B. I never waited tables. I just slept in the park because I didn't have any money and I just ate out of trash cans because I never wanted anything plan B wise to get in my way of my dream to entertain people. And so it's almost like a, like a blind faith. You just keep walking and you don't know what dangers are around you. Just keep focused. That's kind of cool. Burning your ships. Yeah. Burn your ships. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So yeah. Dude, And like the audience is going to listen to this and they're like, wait a minute, American greeting cards. And then all of a sudden you send the random cards to a random person in the mailroom and a, a random person in the mailroom picks them up. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, the late show wants to hear it, wants to see you. You know, that's so wild. You know, like it's so yeah. cool. It's so yeah, wild. It crazy.
0: I remember I had never like in my life not been able to sleep yeah. for like two days. And that when they offered me the job, like I went back you know, to my hotel room and I couldn't sleep. Like sure. I couldn't sleep for like two days. I was like, just something like, <laughs> I can't believe that
1: this happened. Talking about the Letterman job.
0: Yeah. Getting the job Yeah,
1: for, for anybody that was born in the nineties or born in the two thousands listening to this, which there are a lot of young, young guys that listen to this. They might not know David Letterman or they might not know the late show. So it's, yeah, it's not Seth Meyers. Um, it's It's David Letterman, right? Right. Right. Yeah.
0: And he was kind of a hero of a comedy hero of mine. Like I thought he was great and hilarious and his show
1: was really funny. I mean, he was innovative. He had his own style of comedy that that wasn't wasn't like replicated comedy. It was just him. And he had this I don't give a shit attitude. Yet he cared. You know what I mean? Like he didn't He's always seemed like he just didn't care. Even when even his show now, um, uh, what's uh, my next guest is or whatever his Netflix special is. Okay. Sure. Right. He still has this, I don't give a shit attitude and he's really genuinely interested in you too. Did you get to meet him and hang out with him or not hang, but you know what I mean? Did you get to interact?
0: Yeah. I had some interaction with him. uh, Um, and he was, he was very low key, like off camera. You know, he would always kind of walk around the office with his, like, baseball hat kind of down. And and you saw the energy. He turned on the energy when he was was on stage. But, uh, yeah, there was interaction with him. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I thought he was great. He was almost doing like an Alfred E. Newman. He was like yeah. a, the, like, you know, what me worry, you know, uh, that that whole, it was smart. He was sure. smart and, and weird in a lot of ways, um, good ways. Like his comedy yeah. was really absurd and nonsensical and, and fun.
1: But who who isn't? I mean, I guarantee you that whole Family Guy writers room is a bunch of weird people to society standards, right? <laughs> like, like, right? Like, I, <laughs> who the hell came up with greased up deaf guy? I mean, like, who who comes up with that? Like, you know what I mean?
0: Mike Henry came up with that who,
1: who says that who 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 puts a character on a show, and we're gonna get yeah. into the family guy stuff, like I was just thinking about this earlier today. um, your name popped up on my calendar, and like the family guy theme song started playing in my head and i <laughs> and I just like I was saying to my wife, like these are my. I told you the the um the Jesus and God at the bar one one, one of my fa- absolute favorites but, oh. but the one is like Peter Stewie Quagmire Griefed Up Deaf Guy and I'm like who puts that in there? Like Brian's <laughs> guessing at something. I don't remember what episode it was, and he's like, Peter, Stewie, griefed up deaf guy. I'm like, who who would think about that? <laughs> you know, like, I was hoping it was you. You give me a whole background.
0: No, no I, I don't I, I can't place that moment. Was that the initial, was, was that where Greased Up Deaf Guy came from? No, it, you already knew him.
1: Okay, <laughs> he was already a member of the community. Yes, it's it's the funniest shit ever, man. Like, who, who just, who thinks like, oh, oh, you know what, this will be perfect here is like a, a greased up deaf guy in a Speedo walking through the walking through the scene and that (laughs) that is so weird and so damn funny it's so awesome (laughs) i love that man yeah i love that that. was cool um in kind of a contrast
0: from letterman like when i got to letterman letterman had been on the air for probably 15 years at that time maybe 20 and he had a very defined and narrow sort of like, this is his wheelhouse. These are the words he says. And like, sometimes you'd write jokes and they're like he won't say that word. He won't say that word. Hmm. Um, so you, like, it was, it was a challenge, like walking into a, a, a room where like the, the tone, the sensibility, the parameters had been defined over like 20 years. Yeah. So you had to learn all that stuff, all the rules. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, it was a hundred percent contrast when I got out to L.A. and I, I join, you know, I joined this new show. It's uh, called Family Guy. And we entered this room and like it was like night and day. Letterman was all Harvard Lampoon, you know. Right. uh, Writers, the most prestigious writer, writers room, probably in all of television because everybody there had 10 Emmys, you know, late night. There's only three shows, so if you're there for 10 years, you're going to win A couple Emmys. five at, right. right. Um, uh, and then by contrast, like family guy was just the ragtag, the the most ragtag group of like writers who couldn't get hired or like had missed the window of like hiring <laughs> season. And, uh, and we all were in that room and nobody knew what this show was. So it's like, what's funny to us. Right. And, you know we were just smart asses and and we didn't really care about if the story made any sense it was just like what was funny
1: you know it's like you went from and I also want to get like what happened at Letterman so, so the audience can put the story together it's almost like you went from that the um what did you call it the the un the the, the other side of American greeting cards where the first guys had this oh yeah this this alternate humor yeah yeah the, the first guys uh, or the main stream humor guys had this rule book and then you were in this crazy outcast like lawlessness. <laughs> then you get to David Letterman right. with, with a bunch of Harvard guys. Was that was Conan was Conan writing for David?
0: No, he worked for Saturday
1: Night Saturday 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 Live. Right. So yep. let, let's, let's like adjust the, like the biggest question I have for you is how do you survive in a room like that? Like you go, uh, you go to Miami University of Ohio and (laughs) you're sitting there going, I mean, where is your insecurity? I have not yet heard your insecurity. Where is it? Oh, it was
0: hugely there. Like I, I walked into that room. It was the most intimidating room. I couldn't speak for like, uh, for, you know, five days, you know, just trying to get my bearings and, and these people like had this shorthand and, uh, you know, they knew they knew the drill. And I was, I had imposter syndrome. I'm like, you know, I was a greeting card writer a week
1: ago. Right. Like wh- what are I doing here? how did you, how did you get through um, that? I know a lot of guys go through, I myself included imposter syndrome. How do you, especially in a room yeah. like that, man, that's a high, that's a pressure cooker room.
0: Yeah. Right. And, and I I'm, I'm shy, I'm introverted and, and it's hard. It's hard for me to like, you know, throw myself out there. Um, So it was tough. It was, you know, something I had to practice at night and, and work on is like, you know, I gotta, I can't, I can't start freezing up and, 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 you know, gotta participate. And there was parts of it that were, you know, there was a couple of shifts is like, there was stuff in the big room where, we were all together and then other stuff like the top 10 lists were, we'd be individually in our office. And that was a little easier for me. Is like, you're not, you're not, you know, getting intimidated by all these guys around you. Um, you could just kind of, you know, run wild. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was exciting. It was obviously like, I, I could not believe my, uh, stroke of luck, uh, to get into that, writer's room. And I was always struggling with like, you know, did I belong there? And and I didn't think I did belong there. Um, but you know, after about a year, uh, it was during, it was in the late nineties. And if, if you remember that time, it was, it was the talk show, the late night talk show wars between Leno and, and Letterman and Conan and, uh, and, uh, If you recall, like Letterman was slipping and he was falling behind Leno, and they fired the uh, executive producer um, on Letterman and uh, and brought in somebody new and you know to change things up. They let go all the new guys. Like there was like the old guard who had all been there for uh, you know for ten to fifteen years, and then there was like the 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 six or five or six writers who were were pretty new. And so we got all that go. And that was, you know, that was a a gut punch. How long were you there? I was there for about 10 months, 11 months.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: You were gathering some steam. Trying to, yeah, trying to get some momentum and and, and build my confidence. And and then suddenly the rug gets pulled out. Sure. And uh, I remember I remember walking down Broadway, um, you know, we were in the Ed Sullivan theater and, and I just like, you know, they, they brought me in. It was like a five minute thing. Like, thanks. Thanks a lot. But, (laughs) but we gotta let you go. Um, you know, just we gotta shake things up. Um, and I walked out the door. I said, you know, all right, thank you. And I walked out and I'm like, Oh my, you know, I just, my head was swirling and, and, you know just filled with all these emotions sure. and and what am i going to do and panic and i had signed a, a a lease you know on an apartment and uh and it just it lasted maybe like five or ten minutes of like this swirl of of insecurity and and panic and anxiety and then i just said like what am i doing like i i i hate this like i hate this emotional i'm not this emotional right <laughs> and what am I doing? And I'm like, you know what? Fuck those guys. (laughs) I'm going to use this. And, and like, maybe I wasn't ready for this and maybe, and I'm going to take this as a, a, an opportunity to just turn it up. And I'm going to go, go back and I'm going to wake up at 6am and I'm going to write and I'm going to write every day and I'm going to grind it out until I'm better than all of those Harvard guys. <laughs> and I said I'll work hard I'll outwork them and I'll learn everything about comedy, why things work and why things don't work and and know and know it inside and out cuz I felt like I didn't know television. Um so I kind of shook it off like within 10 minutes of of getting fired. That's so remarkable. <laughs> and
1: most people and would the next morning,
0: six in the morning.
1: What's Most that? Most people would be crushed and they'd go out to the bar and they'd drown themselves out and like the pain and the I'm not good enough. And like we talked about earlier, the blame society that we're in, fueled by media and government and like politicians and this whole blame the other side that it's the other guy's fault, it's that guy's fault, it's this guy like. How did you not blame? How did you not go, "Well, fuck those Harvard guys. This is bullshit, man." Like just cuz I didn't go to that school. Like you know, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people would have done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did. I mean, I was like I was like, "Fuck those Harvard guys." Like and then I started thinking like they don't, you know, that's there's an aura about, you know, the Harvard lampoon um, you know, guys, but I knew the reality was you know they're complacent. They're they're in a sure. comfortable position, sure. and sure. it's like while they're being complacent, I'm gonna go to work, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go into my room. I don't care if anyone's around me, and uh, and I'm gonna 12 hours a day. I'm gonna deconstruct every joke. I'm gonna deconstruct every plot. I love it and understand inside and out why every decision is made and what decisions and I. After doing that, I started to notice. Oh, that was a bad decision. Pattern and like discern between what was what were good comedic decisions and what were bad comedic decisions. And I just was more was going to be more disciplined and more motivated. And uh, and I think I you know I spent I spent like a year easily a year doing that. And I continued it. Um, And uh, you know during that time I moved we moved out to LA, um, my, my fiance and I, and, um, and yeah, and, and how'd you? I was in LA. And, how'd you get out of the, did you get that? out of the lease? Uh, I did. I found somebody to take my spot. Oh, subbed it. Nice. Okay. I subletted it and, and yeah, so my, uh, so my girlfriend had moved up there and I had been dating her for a while and then, she had gotten a job in new york and and she had the company she was working for had an opening in in la um so that was the impetus for us to move out God. and um you know got out to la and uh you know one of the first meetings i had was uh fox like my agent she's like you well you drew all these cars you you have all these drawings right. like Most of the other writer clients of mine have like these 120 page scripts. You've got these like cartoons and drawings. So I'm going to send you to Fox because they're an animation, Right? how, you know, they, they do the Simpsons and so in King of the Hills, maybe uh, we'll show them your cartoons and, uh, and so I met with them and, and they liked all the cartoons. They were like, these are really funny. I, I actually went into the thing and I pitched them a show in the room and they bought the show and that ended up being on MTV. And, uh, it was called three South. Oh, right. And then at at the same time, they said, and you should meet this other guy, this other like young guy who's starting a show who's working on a project for us. And that was Seth McFarlane. And so I, I met with him and he's like, Hey, I, you know, your, your stuff is really funny. Uh, you should, you should join this show. Like if, once we get
1: picked up, that's so cool, man. I I still just like it's like, it's like if somebody wrote out the perfect scenario. It's your life, you know. What I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like you're dating this girl. And the universe just put this thing in front of you, and then like, was that the agent from the from William Morris who got you that connection at Fox?
0: It it was. It was the New York. That's so great. The New York agent. And, uh, when I got to LA, they put me up with, uh, you know, William Morris had, yep. you know, 10 branches around the world and, uh, they had an LA office. So I met with the LA William Morris, uh, uh, agent and, uh, and yeah, that was my first thing was go into Fox. Have
1: you ever, had you ever been out here before?
0: No, okay. I didn't know anything about LA and, uh. And yeah, and that's what got me into real estate because I, right. I moved out to LA and I was like scared. I like, I don't know LA. This this business, you know, I, I know I want to do comedy, but like I don't know if I can weather like the economic sure. volatility sure. of it. And uh, I I use my first Family Guy script payments to buy a duplex and that's freaking awesome, man. That got me into so investing.
1: Let me ask you something. I want to go back to your quantum capital stuff in a second. I the the Family Guy stuff is so interesting. So how do you, how do you know? I mean, Seth MacFarlane is no, he's no joke. Like he's, he's well-trained. How does, and educated, how, how do you, how do you fit in that room? Or do you get in that room and go, wow, it's, it's the, uh, it's the alternative humor section of American greetings all over again. This thing could work. It kind of was, yeah.
0: it kind of was the alternative humor department. Cause the Simpsons, I mean, the Simpsons was alternative when that started But, I mean, I think we took it to a new level. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in that room, I think Seth and I bonded because we both liked the the far side. Okay. And I think secretly all of my cartoons that I drew for American Greetings were, were like, secretly ripping off the far side. Or, like, influenced by the far side. And he loved the far side. He he, he came into the room on, like, day one of Family Guy, just with one of those, like, big uh, 20 pound volumes of all the far side (laughs) cartoons. Um, but yeah, the, the fun thing about family guy is like, whereas, whereas Letterman primed me, you know, with the most intimidating room you could walk into, like (laughs) as a young guy like from Ohio, um, uh, the Family Guy room was the opposite. It was the least intimidating room. Like everybody there was ragtag, like barely making a, barely piecing together a career. Seth was like barely out of college and nobody really knew how to write a show. So it was just all of our influences. You know, I loved Monty Python and and Farside. And I, you know, I knew every Simpson episode at the time. And so we were just being weird and playing off each other, and you know it was it was really fun. It was really relaxed, zero intimidation. Yeah. Um. You know, just this ragtag group, and and we would learn each other's. Like everybody brought something to the table, uh, some sensibility that was just their own, and and they would all kind of mix
1: together, and and that's what Family Guy became. What is that the formula? Because you think you think about all the shows that get pitched, right? all the all the insane professionals with, with years and decades of experience that come together and their pilot doesn't even get picked up or their pilot gets picked up and it's canned. It's episode two. Like, is it again, is it like this? I don't know what I don't know, and you're just blindly just kind of you guys were just moving forward as a pack. And then how do you how do you know how to structure it? How do you know how to, because you don't really have like formal, formal training. H- how do you know how to put this package together with this cadence every week that you know the audience is going to start to get used to? And like, how do you measure that? And then how do you build a business out of it? Like that that's so fascinating to me. How do you understand the formula that becomes Family Guy, which goes down in history as one of the greatest animated shows of all time?
0: Yeah, well, we we didn't really know the formula and there was one guy in our room who was brought on to be like the adult in the room and he had come off of king of the hill king of the hill and he was the showrunner and um his name was david zuckerman and he he kind of was modeling you know family guy off of the king of the hill and wanted to like make sure it was grounded and 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 i think everybody else besides him in the room resisted that yeah. impulse yeah. like we wanted it to be nonsense Wild. and non-sequitur and there was a lot of clashes because he was like an old school like where's the heart where's the where's the you know why are we doing these crazy cutaways and crazy <laughs> things but you know seth was stubborn you know to seth's credit he was uh he was like no this is what i want to do <laughs> And if if we're going to take three minutes to to like put in like a non sequitur video, um, we're going to do it. And and that's, you know, it was kind of it became this like messy mix of of stuff of tension of like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't quite a good storytelling, but it wasn't quite that bad right. either. And it had a lot of jokes and non sequiturs thrown in. And that's kind of what it became. So it's
1: the natural defiance, right? It's a, it's a natural. And, and I, I find this, like I find, I, I interviewed a lot of people this week on the show. And one of the common elements, regardless of money, right? Let's, let's measure success without money. Without the money piece, every person that has a measurable amount of success has a measurable amount of defiance. Myself included. <laughs> they just do. Stubber. you know, and like you know I remember um, uh, Seth McFarlane was on Howard Stern once, and he was talking about these, uh, and I'm sure you've been to one, these parties that he has in in like Christmas and July parties where he brings in snow to his house out here. Uh, right. And Howard's like, "Why the hell would you do that?" And he goes, "Well, because I can." And Howard's like, "But who says you can?" And he goes, "Well, I just thought it'd be a good idea, and it, and I just made it happen." You know, and that was his answer. It wasn't like, uh, I, you know, I don't know, Howard. I I I mapped this whole thing out of my head. He's like, "I just thought it would be cool, and and then it turned into a thing." And that's it, that level of defiance. Like, it's L.A. It's 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 July in L.A. And you have a snow party, a Christmas in July snow party at your house in the hills. That's That just yeah. explains it right there. Like, <laughs> the natural defiance of you leaving the Ed Sullivan Theater and saying, I'm not going to accept that. Like, it's not you turning back around and begging for your job. It's you saying, "They that didn't mean anything. Like, them firing me doesn't mean I'm not good enough. I'm just going to keep rolling. Right. You know? I'm gonna, And I'm going to practice my crafts. Like... And by the way, I wanted to ask you that. How did you know to, to like get disciplined and like dig in and start to practice this and break jokes down? Did you learn that from somebody? You model that from somebody? I think I think it was like a tool. I,
0: I think it was, you know, it goes back to, you know, me being eight years old and, and finding these books on mindset. So it was somewhere in my brain, it was like. Yeah. That's what you do in these situations. You don't fold, you don't, you know, second guess yourself. You, you know, you just go to work. Yeah. It's time to go to work.
1: I love that, man. That's so, that's so clear. That's so clear. Yeah, it
0: was. And it, it made sense to me too. It, It, cause there was a way that I was like, I was like coming out of the theater and I was like, I didn't deserve to get this in the first place. Sure. And now I've got to earn it, and and am I gonna, am I gonna go back to Ohio with my tails, tail between my legs, or am I gonna, I'm gonna, and it, my answer was like immediately, no, I'm no. gonna, I'm yeah. gonna work. I'm gonna put in the work, sure, and I'm gonna work harder than anyone else. That was one thing that I knew I could do. I could sure. work harder than, I saw that room. I saw they went home at five o'clock and <laughs> went to the bar. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna wake up you know, earlier than them and and write later and, and deconstruct
1: everything. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I want to put this into context for the people, especially the younger guys listening. What you're talking about is not the hustle culture. What you're talking about is time on task. It's not just hustle and grind because hustle and grind can spin your wheels in the mud. What you did, it sounds like to me is you knew that you needed to put time into your craft. Yeah. And so you were just using the morning and evening hours to put more time than the rest of those guys would put in and you honed your craft yeah. faster. That's a great yeah. lesson. In I, life. Think I, was aware of,
0: I was aware of the 10,000 hour, yeah. you know, idea, and I was like, I didn't put my 10,000 hours in yet. And I have to do that now and whether I'm sitting here unemployed, you know, Whatever my job situation is,
1: I got to put in those 10,000 hours. You're a smart guy, man. He's a young guy. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not common. It's <laughs> not common at all. I talk to a lot of young guys. that They're crushed. They're, they're decimated. They're, you know, they're comparing themselves to others and they're losing their minds. So here's the thing. We're talking about family guy. And there's so many there's so many places we could go with this. Like we could, we, you and I could talk for probably three hours just about Family Guy stuff. And I, I already feel myself <laughs> like being uncontrollably laughing, at random shit. <laughs> so, it's not that type of show. And, I, I can you can you give one um, for people listening? They're gonna be like, Ian, you have an inside track into. The back in the family guy, why didn't you ask these questions? There's 50 million <laughs> questions I can ask. T- just give us an idea of what it's like behind the scenes. Take people into the writer's room and how you guys created the characters. And like, we already know the randomness of the non sequiturs and the, and the flashbacks, and the you know, like we talked about earlier, greased uh, a greased up deaf guy running through the scene randomly. <laughs> 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 that, that cracks me up, man. That cracks me up. But your sense of humor, Seth's sense of humor, the other sense of humor of the writers—I mean, you like none of it makes sense as a as a formula for a massive success, and it worked yeah. like unbelievably yeah. well. How how is that? Like, give it. Take us into the I mean, writers' room or the you know the creation.
0: Sure, and it it worked after failure after failing a couple times right, in right. a row. Right. I you know I gotta say when I first met Seth and, and brought home the uh, the v- VHS tape of his like you know what the the two minute three minute version of Family Guy was I was like this is never gonna last right. like like the Simpsons the Simpsons does this so much better right <laughs> how are we how is this show ever gonna compete with the Simpsons something at the caliber of the Simpsons right. Um, but we went in, you know, what was it like? I mean, like I said, it was a humble room, you know, compared to the prestige of Letterman. Sure. And so, so, you know, we didn't have any expectations. There wasn't much ego, I don't think. I think everybody just fed off each other. And, and we didn't really know if this was going to last. So we were just having fun. Yeah. You know, it, it was is what's gonna make us laugh. And Seth was new enough, like he was, he had never run a show before, so he didn't learn any rules of like show running and and structure, and he actually bristled at, you know, at the elder people in the room who were like, oh no, this is how you tell a story in in sitcoms. And it was like, who cares? Like we don't, he was stubborn, you know, to his credit, he was stubborn enough to say who cares about that stuff? Right. Nobody cares about the story. It just has to be funny. And uh, is there a, know, so is we...
1: there any battles that ensue? Because like Seth seems like a calm, easygoing guy, but I I see like there's a rage behind there in some capacity. Is it does he ever does he ever get so like focused and and sure about this thing that he's willing to battle you over it, or is he cool and just kind of let everybody put their words in and then rolled with what he thought the best was?
0: Um I think a little bit
1: of both.
0: I think he didn't know. I think he was open as to what family guy could be. Yeah. Um but I also know that uh you know his his uh his partner at the sort of the helm of the show, you know, was brought in as like the elder statesman who's going to like a guide this young, you know, this young kid basically. And Seth didn't like that relationship. So Seth pushed back and he was like, no, this is, you know, I don't want this to be another like King of the Hill. Um, and, and so, so there was 10, there was, there was tension and there was stubbornness, but I mean, Maybe it was off a lot of other people's radars just because it sure. was like we were like, like I'm thinking of this. I had this dumb idea in my head, and I I want to get it out there, and and <laughs> someone else would pile on that and and think of take it to a, an even dumber <laughs> level, right?
1: <laughs> and we'd end up doing it. And Seth was like, No, I want to do that. Right. You know, it's it's like um, it's like. It, you, you and Seth kind of have this similar story and I'm sure a lot of the other writers do where you're like this thing isn't guaranteed man let's just ride this roller coaster as long as we can and let's do what we want to do and like you're you're oblivious to the rules and it's and it makes you have more clarity you're like well, I don't know I couldn't do that what does that mean and and you almost make it work and you had that you had that back in in your career as well like Starting the comedy uh, publication, the humor publication in high school, you're like, well, I, di- I mean, how do you know that doesn't work? And it's guys like that that test the, the the theories all the time. Like for for, and you think about it. The other piece is, in your story, you were never worried about what you were gonna look like or what people were gonna think of you or oh my god, my career's gonna be crushed and over. And Seth, you're sitting in Fox, like that's not a small potatoes, little independent shop in in Burbank somewhere, like you're Fox studios, you know, big time operation. None of you are thinking if we should really follow the rules here, guys, Fox could really blacklist us forever. Why does that not cross anybody's mind? Uh, (laughs) Right. I mean, I was, I
0: always thought, the one thing I noticed is that when I got in that room, I'm like, okay, this is going to, kind of be something sort of like the simpsons yeah and then but there was one there was one decision that you know i it was became apparent early on is like seth wants to push the envelope like sexual race like everything he wanted to push buttons and and i was thinking like wow is this gonna is this gonna get us canceled like (laughs)
1: because we were we were pushing a lot of buttons but you guys got canceled Um, the first time. And how, how long did that take?
0: I think we got canceled at least two times, maybe even three times. (laughs) Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think the first time we got canceled, but then like a couple months went by and they picked us up again for like a limited, a limited number of episodes. Then I think we got canceled a second time. And then the third time was, uh, was where we were off for two years
1: how do you how do you hold faith how do you know or maybe it wasn't you maybe it was seth or maybe it was all of you just kind of going fuck it, if it's meant to work it'll work like how do you yeah. third time being canceled and then all of a sudden they go hey we're gonna run this on what adult swim for two years without paying you right like how do you, right. do you have faith oh. in that
0: Well, that was, that was like miraculous, um, that adult swim thing. But yeah, I remember the day when, um, you know, it was the third time we got canceled and we were standing, I was standing up in the writer's room and we were kind of like gathering stuff up and we were like, well, and I think Seth made the comment. He's like, well, you know, we tried, you know, now, uh, now, you know, now what do you guys figure out a show and we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll try it again. And, um, and I don't have to be the, the leader of, of the next version of, of this, yeah. but we had fun and we kind of went our separate ways and I, I got a job on another show. Um, I think two other shows and, and then, uh, and then, so and kind of forgot about, you know, Seth, I would, I would, or, or forgot about family guy. I would see Seth, like we'd go out to bars or something sure. or grab food and stuff but otherwise we were all kind of moving in different directions and um and yeah what you commented about is uh the credit goes to uh this this guy who was uh chairman of of 20th century fox back then his name is gary newman and when family guy got canceled he did the unprecedented thing of he offered adult swim which is one of our competitors you know that's uh that's um uh, you know, Sumner Redstones, uh oh, yeah, 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 Cartoon uh, Network. Come on, Penny, Cartoon Network. So they're a competitor of ours. Uh, Gary Newman offered uh, Adult Swim all of the episodes of Family Guy that had been produced to that time. And I think it was, I don't know, maybe 50 episodes at that time. That's a lot. We're, we're had, and he said, um, you can put these, you can air these on Adult Swim, and uh, for free, no charge, go ahead. And if they do anything in the ratings, we'll have a conversation after a year. And that was it. And uh, kind of unfathomable that he just gave it away to a competitor. Um, But but what started to happen is is that was, you know, ironically, maybe it's some sort of poetic justice. (laughs) I never thought of it that way, but like it was, those were up against Leno and Letterman and Conan and, uh, right. you know, it, it, the 1130 time slot, uh, and, and time magazine ended up running an article about how, how amidst these talk show wars, uh, that were high stakes for the major networks, Fox's reruns of a, a canceled show family guy were beating them and all in the ratings. It's so crazy. Like, uh, And then they came out on DVD because DVDs were kind of big and and new back then. And, and family Guy sold more DVDs than any other show. And it was a canceled show. So these things started to conspire in our favor and it was, it was clearly catching momentum. And, uh, you know, miraculously we start hearing, I remember first it was from Seth and it was like, Hey, they might bring us back. And, and I remember being like, Oh, poor Seth. Like, He's, he can't let go yeah. he just can't let go <laughs> right. of, like no show has ever been brought back
1: from cancellation it's just from the three time three. cancellation right yeah, like so then well, uh, yeah, but they like and then then things come back Does the atmosphere different or are you guys like no we have something here let's keep this thing going the same way we were
0: Well, we were all confused like what are we doing back here right. like i thought we we we'd been through this like three times. Are we going to get canceled again? And I think, a, a moment of, uh, of, uh, you know, just a shift, a paradigm shift of the way I perceived what, what was going on is, um, is, uh, they, they, we did a live act, a live table read as, uh, um, um, not far from where I live, like, uh, at, at this theater and, uh, in LA, it was like a big music venue. And, uh, You know, someone had suggested, let's do a table read and just get all the actors. And I was thinking, like, who's going to, you know, you mean we won't get to the audience won't get to see any of the like animation, like the funny stuff that's visual. Like it's they're just going to go in the audience and and listen to people read the parts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and I was like, all right, well, I mean, you know, whatever. This sounds like a terrible idea, but I went there and the line was like wrapped around the block and it was sold out and it was packed and the audience went crazy. Like (laughs) for the whole thing. And I was like, Oh my God, like what happened? Like, where
1: were these people when, uh, when (laughs) we were trying to get ratings? Well, they were, they were watching cartoon network, not Fox. They weren't watching Fox animation domination. They were watching cartoon network at midnight. And,
0: and another thing that we, uh, we often we learned is we learned that you know, we never got Nielsen ratings. We never got good ratings, and that's why we got canceled. But um, the, the Nielsen ratings did not track college students. Oh. They did not college, uh, track college students and prisoners. So uh, okay. we credited uh, prisoners
1: and, and, and college students as, <laughs> as bringing us back to life. So, you smartly did something. You intelligently did something. I think smartly is a word. (laughs) You You intelligently did something. Um, Dude, (laughs) I saw a meme the other day. Remember Quagmire's cross-country road trip? In the RV, Uh, the the Winnebago. Right. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) This is the shit that you guys were so smart with. The the thing, you see the whole Winnebago, and Quagmire says, "You mean wanna wanna bango," and then it cuts to something and cuts back to Quagmire, and you hear somebody, I think it's like Lois or somebody, who says, uh, "Quagmire doesn't country have an O in it?" And he just cuts the Quagmire's face, <laughs> and he goes, "No, not this one. <laughs> That's like what the- <laughs> that type of humor." I, I fell know. in love with. I told you, I bought every season I possibly could at Quantico Base in in uh, in Virginia when I was quarantined oh, yeah. there for sixteen <laughs> hours, trying to get to the FBI training center with a with a big boat, and that's all I had to do. And they, I bought these things for like next to nothing, and I just went through them and just started memorizing every line. I thought it was so yeah, damn man. smart, man. And then I would fight with people and argue with people, like, how can you not think Family Guy's smart? just the edginess alone and the crafting of those jokes alone you could tell that there was really smart people in that room that wasn't just crude humor that that was very well crafted
0: that's funny you say that because i mean we thought we thought a smart show was the simpsons and the simpsons was another like yeah. harvard harvard writing staff sure. and we didn't have harvard people we now we now have a couple um but uh, back in the day, like no. yeah, The Simpsons was the brilliant
1: show, sure. and we were the we were the the ugly stepchild. But <laughs> right. so intelligently back then, you realized like I've got to do something here. One, LA is very expensive, and two, like I've got to be smart with my money because you had experienced up down up down up down up down. What drove you to buying your first investment property? Here was it just the intelligent mindset that you need to invest or that you wanted to house hack or what was it? Did you live in one of the duplexes? I did. I lived in half of it.
0: Yeah. It was coming out to LA. It was, uh, it was, I don't know LA it's this strange, expensive city. And I was in this volatile business. Like I had growing up, I had never known anybody that had ever made a career out of anything like this. So it was like, it was, to me, it was, not really a reasonable a feasible long-term sure job I had just had some luck and then also like when I was in New York um you know after post letterman like I would bolt awake in the middle of the night panicked over how I was gonna how I was gonna pay my rent the next month and it sucked like that kind of anxiety that that sure like that in when I got out to la and like this is I know even less about LA than I did of New York. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm on these like shows that are getting, you know, I guess I hadn't, I, I was just moving out to LA and I got hired on family guy and, and, and I didn't think family guy was going to last when I first got hired sure. in that writer's room. I was like, this is going to last like a few months and then they're going to cancel us. Um, so with my first couple script payments, I was like, I need to do something like, how am I going to survive long-term without that sort of lingering insecurity, that lingering anxiety. And I, I kind of thought, you know, I talked to a broker and, uh, and she was like, you should buy a, you should, you should put your money towards a mortgage rather than towards rent. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like the last thing I want is the obligation of a mortgage Sure. from what I've gone through, like in terms of feast or famine. Um, But I did say like, if you find, if you find something that would be the best investment I've ever made, I'll do it. Yeah. And, uh, and miraculously to her credit, her name is June on. I barely knew her at the time but she called me like two weeks later and she's like, I found the property you need to buy. You know, it's this value add duplex, um, in a good, good neighborhood in a very up and coming neighborhood. And I went and looked at it. I was like, okay. Uh, Larchmont village. Okay. where yeah. Yeah. Where I I live, not too far from there now. And, I mean, I, I didn't know much about real estate, but at least I knew, like, I could see, all right, this neighborhood is on the upswing. Sure. Like, it's really cool. You could walk to this this uh, village. Um, and then I, I looked at the property, and it was like, this is cool architecture, but totally overrun, yeah. overgrown, neglected. And I was like, all right, I, I get the idea of, like, yeah, you fix it up. You put some money into fixing it up you clean up the landscaping and uh and maybe you ride the momentum of the the area and those three so I you know I didn't beyond that I knew nothing so I didn't know any numbers and uh and yeah I I the property was listed for $379,000 uh there were 15 other bidders uh, other buyers
1: still back then and
0: uh still back wow. then this was in 1999 and uh And I ended up winning the bidding war at four hundred and paid four hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. So uh roughly fifty-five thousand over asking. And uh I thought I had just made the biggest mistake of my life (laughs) and bankrupt me. Like what a horrible thing. And uh moved in, tried to embrace it. Mike Henry was my first uh tenant and he he's the voice of Cleveland and Herbert and Consuela and uh you know, he, he, he made fun of me for being a landlord and I threatened to evict him all the time. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: but I, you know, that's, that's when I, I I thought I had made a mistake with this duplex. And I just thought like, I got to learn. I didn't learn. I didn't learn before buying. Now I'm, I've bought this thing. I have, I own this thing. I've got to learn. And so I, you know, read books, read every book I could on real estate and, and, and I, and I loved it and I, I, I didn't love it maybe for the intellectual, but I loved the return. Yeah, of course. Like I, I sold it. I sold it, uh, five years later, you know, I had overpaid at 435,000 and sold it for 1.27 million Damn. and, uh, and I was like, Oh my God, this is what I have to do with all of my money.
1: Yeah. What? it? Uh, so you became, you became an addict. How, how are you not, how are you not freaking out? Like. Again, man, this goes to show you—you you didn't know what you didn't know, so it couldn't scare you. You were walking this path, and all the scary shit, you were blinded to it because you just <laughs> didn't know. This is like the story of your life—like right. you just kept this right. focus, this intense focus, and you didn't pay attention to all the shit around you, which is a good thing. Yeah, a really good thing.
0: Yeah, but I—I I mean, I remember that roller coaster ride sure. of the bidding war. Like it was—I think it was two weeks straight, and every single day. I dreaded waking up in the morning because like I knew I was going to call June, you know, my broker. And she was going to say, you've got to go up another $10,000. Right. I'm like, I do not want to go up another 10,000. I went up another 10,000 last yesterday right. and the day before that, like, when is this going to stop? And, but she convinced me to stick to stay in the yeah. the, the bidding and I did, and I won it, and I was like, "Oh my God, what have I just done?" Love it, but yeah. So there, it wasn't all confidence; it was, right. <laughs> it was like,
1: "Oh shit, yeah, what and, I just do?" But you know what's interesting yeah, that, is, like, you then dig in, like you take the fear and the fear of the anxiety. I, I know what it's like to, you know, to not have cash and be like, "What the hell's going on?" Like you were talking like that. I don't want that that anxiety. Um, I, that I had when I lost my job at Letterman, like, I didn't want that yet. You, you counterbalance that with the anxiety of the unknown of buying a piece of real estate for much more than you should have. Technically this right. market right. is very forgiving, but like, and it's, it's interesting because when I talked to, um, to Jamie Gruber and he was just like yeah. singing your praises. I S he said, uh, he said, you, you got to talk to him, man. You're an LA guy. He's an LA guy. Like, I said, Jamie, I don't know anything about investing in LA, and I'm I'm an experienced real estate investor, and I've got plenty of successes and failures under my belt. I really don't know how to invest in LA, and he goes, "You got to talk to Mark," and I said, "All right." Yeah. So, like, and then and then like, so so how did so you just kept rolling right, and you you kept this thing going, and then Quantum Capital, you how did how did you build your own fund?
0: Yeah, I mean, it became it became literally when I sold that that, uh, duplex, you know, I had made, you know, I, I, the numbers on it were kind of crazy. I don't think I've ever matched that, but because it was my first, I was a first time buyer. I I got to put down 10%. I mean, I could have gone down to like 4%, but I, I put down 10% and I made, I think I made $835,000 off of a $40,000. 40 44,000 was my was my down payment and I made I made like 2000% on it and then not only that but I was able to take the uh, the owner occupied married tax credit so the first 500,000 was tax free right. and then the remainder of it was 1031 exchanged into two more properties Love and that. I think I split it into like a fourplex and a 12 unit and, um, I was off to the races. Yeah. I'm like, this is exactly, I, I found what I'm going to do. Like it was up until then, whenever I had money, like stock market was confusing yeah. and boring yeah. and, and slow. This is it. Like, this is, this is, this is my investment and it. I can do just this and repeat sure. over and over and over again. And that's what I tried to do. And I, it was such a virtuous cycle as like, I suddenly like any, any, I, any dreams that I had of like, Oh, I want to buy a, a fancy car or like a, or get a Porsche or like, you know, all that stuff evaporated. None of that compared to the thrill of like owning real
1: estate. Yeah. Yeah. I do. T- I totally agree. What do you say to somebody? And I want to wrap up. I, it's been, I, I could talk to you for hours. Um, what do you say to somebody that like, like somebody like me who, I've owned a couple million dollars worth of real estate and I had a partner, I was telling you last time we talked, I had a partner uh, pull the rug out and a two and a half million dollar portfolio like just went down the tubes. And, you know, it took me a long time to pay that much, like, you know, $800,000 took me a long time to pay that back to investors who were swindled yeah. by wow. this partner. And and it, it made me... Um, it made me question my ability. It made me question my skill set and my um, my eye for detail on the numbers and the partnership and like. So I haven't I haven't invested in real estate in two years, and I know I need to get back I, into it. It's just, what do you say to someone that's that hasn't had let's call it, let's qu- let's just call it overall your luck with real estate or your your
0: yeah no totally how does someone totally just keep going
1: when they get smashed.
0: Right, I mean, I, I had the great fortune and I can't undervalue that enough, is that like having a good first experience yeah. put the bug, gave me the bug for the rest of my life. And I think having a bad experience, you know, is a, a totally different, it's something to overcome. Um, haven't you had a bad experience? I mean, I, what's that? you
1: had a bad experience? I,
0: I have not had, honestly, I have not had a bad experience in real estate. i had have, I've had challenging things, sure. but I don't think I've ever lost money on a deal. I mean, I, I hate to say my, sure. the only thing I lost money, I lost a huge amount of money in, uh, in private equity. Um, my brother convinced me to invest in this company yeah. and, you know, lost like $550,000, Um, that wasn't your wheelhouse, uh, right?
1: So is the lesson stay in your wheelhouse,
0: stay in my wheelhouse. And, and, you know, maybe not the experts, aren't the experts you think like, sure. You know, I just kind of like licked my wounds and I'm like, stick with what I know. And I know, you know, I'm careful. Maybe at the beginning it was luck in real estate, but I was always aware of like, maybe I got lucky. Maybe I got lucky. Sure. And so I was always pushing like, how do I, I know my luck, I I know I can't depend on luck all the time. So how do I fill in those gaps of knowledge and be conservative and and be prepared because it's, you're not always going to get lucky. And so I try to, I try to be, be conservative and, and, you know, not, not need to depend on luck.
1: Yeah. I do that. That makes, that makes perfect sense so tell us about uh just fill us in. like as we're wrapping up here fill us in on quantum capital i mean i could i could go back and ask you so many questions on family guy that i just personally <laughs> want to know and i will I, next time I, whenever we meet for a coffee or a drink in Larchmont, i'm gonna just run a recorder and <laughs> we can publish that um <laughs> yeah so quantum capital came along like tell the audience about that how they can get more information more involved like i'm i'm excited to sit down with you and talk about quantum it's just everything that Jamie dude I'm telling you Jamie is a networker of networkers a connector of connectors <laughs> right. Right? like he just he knows the right shit I got excited about real estate investing again and he was like oh man don't 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 worry about the rest of that shit dude, just focus on quantum capital at this point I'm like okay Jamie I'm in you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah so tell us
0: about yeah. quantum um you know quantum was basically uh, you know, I was I was in that writer's room in Family Guy in those early years and we all were getting, ca- we got canceled right. over and over again. And so when we came back and and I had had this experience, I was the evangelist in the writer's room. I'm like, do yourself a favor, dude, do yourself a favor in that, buy, buy real estate, buy multifamily. Because I also liked economies of scale. Yeah. And everybody's like, you are like yeah, yeah, you're doing that, huh? You 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 bought these uh a uh, six unit, uh you know they're like wow, yeah that's cool, and I was like yeah do it do it I'll and I would I would find properties I'm like I I don't have money on this you should buy this you know this five unit building, and they would be like okay okay, and then nobody would do it can't believe and that. eventually they were like they would be like you know you you won't stop talking about this so why don't you buy properties and could we put money in it? And so that's kind of where I started bringing in other writers and, uh, you know, continued, I wanted to help them. I wanted, I knew they were as, as insecure as I was. And so, uh, you know, I, I got them in on, on a number of like successful deals. And then eventually that became quantum capital and went beyond, you know, my friends and we started marketing and, and, you know, Doing syndications.
1: That's so cool, man. You had a cool life, a really cool life. A really cool (laughs) life, man. I I want you to, I I really want to read your book one day, like with all the Uh, little details (laughs) in it, you know? Like, I know you're going to have to, you're a writer, you're going to have to write your own biography, you know?
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: (laughs) It's super cool. Well, look, Mark, this has been a, a, a treat, an honor, a privilege, highly entertaining. Uh, uh, all the above. Yeah, thank thanks you. for
0: having me on. Yeah, thank thanks for having me on. You're a good host. You uh, thanks, man. You know, we had some good conversations. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I didn't get clarity on greased up deaf guy, but I, I have a feeling I will one day
0: <laughs> on where that came from. Yeah, it was Mike Henry. It's definitely Mike Henry. It makes zero and, sense. Um, he did the voice. He did the voice of it too, and I think he just said it. He just said it. And maybe he was thinking about it in the morning before he came to work, but he just like, you know, yeah, there's this greased up deaf guy, and this is what he sounds like. <laughs> You're never going to catch me. You're to catch me. Yeah, yeah. right. Like
1: Seth, Who does to that? Seth's credit. Seth, spread
0: it. You Seth drew him.
1: Right. You know what's interesting? It's like Family Guy's success is based off of all of your unconscious thoughts. Like the shit that you, <laughs> the shit that you don't, like that you really normally wouldn't tell people. Right, you, you guys say out loud. You guys made a an entire career in like one of the greatest shows in television history out of the B side of your brain. That's so neat. Yeah, and and being naturally defiant, <laughs> like I, I love that. I celebrate you guys. I love what you're doing, man. I uh, I'm excited about um, getting involved with Quantum and getting to know you better and here in LA. And and uh, yeah, I, anything we can do to support you on the Mental Purpose podcast or world, you let us know. Yeah. Keep
0: doing what you're doing. I, I've listened to a bunch of them and uh, what you do is great. You're Thanks. a great host. Thank you. Your topics you cover are, are really good.
1: Yeah. We've got some juicy ones coming up. Some, a lot of guys have been asking for more of the sexual stuff. And so I've got some experts coming up that will get will maybe get me a little red in the face. I don't know. <laughs> 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 so this is great, man. I'm uh, I'm heading to San Diego for Thank my you. son's birthday. Thanks for being here. Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I'm uh, I'm thrilled. It was a really fun conversation.
1: Thank you so much, man. That's that means the world to me. And you know, you know, and you know this business. So that's <laughs> that's an extra special compliment from you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, audience. Smart gentleman Look him up. I mean, if you just type his name in, he's you're a famous guy. Whether you think so or not, if you type your name into Google, it all comes up. Um, oh yeah. So um, I hope you enjoy the episode, audience. We'll catch you on the next one.